This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 31 of the SuperAge show. It's great to have you with us. This will be dropping on April the 14th, 2021. So this week, I did something rather novel. I booked an airplane trip. And I'm going to go see my mom. So my mom is 90. I love my mom. Um, Mom is really awesome. And so much of what I've learned about how to age well, I've learned from my mom, who does an amazing job of aging. So we're going to get on a plane and fly up to Eugene, Oregon and visit her. And it's just, it was so exciting to go into the airline booking site. And, you know, what seat are we going to get? How much does it cost? What time do we land? How do we get the car? And these were things pre-COVID that, you know, were sort of a minor irritation, like how do we manage all these details? But this time it was... It was like really exciting. I found myself really looking forward to it. And part of it is that we're going in a month. And during COVID Zoom time, there were no plans a month, two months in advance. I mean, at least in my world, it was if you were booking a call with somebody, maybe it was at the most three weeks out. It was generally like a week, two weeks. But now there's something to look forward to. And I'm I'm really excited about this. And I'm super excited to see my mom. And of course, she's really excited to see us. So that's that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this, you know, reconnection in a physical way. That talking to people and on you know, on the phone and Zoom and all this has been great. Actually, my my network is much bigger than it was pre-COVID. But there's nothing like just hugging your mom, right? So, really looking forward to that. And I I I'm, I'm guessing so many of you out there are doing almost exactly the same thing. Like as soon as I knew my vaccination schedule, this was started to get on my mind. And as soon as I got the second shot, I was like, okay, great, we can do this now. So moving into a new world, um, we're going to get with our guest, Jill Angelo, who's the founder of Genev. I, I, Jill is just awesome. I'm a huge fan of Jill and what she's doing with women's health over at Genev. And if you don't know what Genev is, it's uh, a virtual clinic for women 40 plus. They have got doctors, they've got health coaches, wellness products. And they've got a community supporting women through perimenopause and postmenopause years. And, you know, they do this really great thing where they treat the physical and the emotional wellness together as, as a whole being. And, you know, about time somebody's done that. So we're going to get into a great conversation with Jill in just a second after a word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Cary Gran. Cary Grand facial oils are high in critical skin-friendly antioxidants as well as omega fatty acids to keep your skin soft, hydrated, and nourished. Because dry humor? Yeah, absolutely. Dry skin? No way. <laughs> and I'm, I have to say, their, their sunblock is my absolute favorite. And as everybody knows, I am a connoisseur of sunblock. And the people who have used their sunblock, I'm not the only one, swear by it. It blocks UVA, which are the A for aging rays, and UVB, burning rays. We don't want either one of those. 
And why does it smell so great? Because it's got red raspberry seed oil. It's got French plum oil. Oh, so good. And macadamia nut oil. Uh, and it's made with non-nano zinc oxide. Best sunblock on the market, bar none, believe me. Check them out. Kerrygran.com, spelled K-A-R-I-G-R-A-N. Check out that sunblock. Let us know what you think. Hey, Jill, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. So um, let's be, before we get too far into this, tell me a little bit about Genève. Why did you decide to start Genève? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a likely subject for starting a women's health company. Like I spent my career in tech. I was, I was in, you know, I was at Microsoft for about 15 years and uh, I was on a sabbatical and I met this fascinating woman. Uh, she had built Neutrogena from a small soap company. She sold it to Johnson and Johnson. And she had this incredible vision around women's health as we go through menopause and how underserved it was. And I was, you know, I, my philanthropic time in my life was always focused or has always been focused on women and girls development. And so I found what she was saying really, um, it, it just hit me like, wow, something needs to be done around serving women's health and menopause. And one thing led to another, I quit my corporate job and I started Genev. Wow. When was that? That was 2016. Wow. Uh, so, so it's five years about, now. About five years ago. Yeah. 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 And it's been, you know, a fascinating journey. I never thought I'd be quote unquote in healthcare. Um, and, and it's interesting what healthcare means now compared to what it meant probably five years ago. Um, I, at the time, I wasn't in what we call perimenopause, which is the point in time leading up to menopause. And now as a 47-year-old woman, I'm, I'm in perimenopause. So I'm, I'm a customer of what we're doing. So my perspective on the business has, has changed radically. Wonderful. And uh, I understand you've had, I, I got an email from you last week about your personal health. Um, yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I, you know, one thing just to kind of set the context. Um, so as the founder and CEO of Genev, I share a lot about what's going on in my personal health, partly because, and it's not because I, this business or this, what I'm doing now didn't come out of a difficult situation in my life or it didn't rise out of a problem. It rose out of, I think, a real purpose to do something that needs to be done for half the population, because half the population goes through menopause. And, you know, what I have found is that if we really want to create change in this part of women's health, we have to start conversation. We have to start talking about it. In fact, when I started the company, we surveyed 1500 women and around like, how did you prepare for this time of life? And their overriding insight was, I wasn't prepared, start the conversation. And so in a lot of what I'm doing at Geneva, I share a lot about my own personal health. And if you're on our weekly newsletter, um, you receive a weekly email from me. And oftentimes I'll share things about that. And so that's what you received. Um, and we have this initiative right now around women sharing their menopause stories around, you know, just how did, what do you suffer from? What solutions have you used to feel better? 
And, and so I, I wrote out my menopause story where I'm at in the whole journey. And I just shared a little bit about, you know, some of the, the things I suffer most from. I've had night sweats since I was 34. I have trouble sleeping. And then um, my doctor most recently found a series of polyps and fibroids in my, in my uterus. And so last week I had a procedure to have those removed and I shared with women in, or I shared to anyone, women and men, um, what this was like, how, you know, how it kind of like, just what I went through. Um, and I'm just, my whole mission around this is not to like overshare it's to normalize it and show women that, Hey, we're all going through this in all sort of shapes and sizes. And the more that I share, um, the emails that I get back from women of them sharing what they're going through, it just kind of, it normalizes what we're going through. Um, so I had this procedure. Um, it's not a hysterectomy, it's a his, um, hysteroscopy. And where they go into your uterus and they clean out any polyps and fibroids, which can cause a lot of pain um, and irregular bleeding. And uh, we took them out and biopsied there. I'm cancer free, but a lot of women suffer from this. It's very common. And by sharing it, I was just hoping to kind of normalize it a little bit more. So women just didn't feel so isolated and alone. Was it scary? Yeah, it was, you know, I've always been like, I'm a runner and I'm really healthy and I've not had a lot of health challenges throughout my life. And so again, as a quote unquote, kind of pretty healthy person. Um, I met with an anesthesiologist, you know, they talked about, you know, this was a procedure that they put you under. And I think that no matter who you are, whether you've had a lot of hospital care or not, you know, it's just always like when, when you've got something invasive um, and you have this procedure and you come home and I didn't snap out of it like I thought I would. I thought, well, I'll be running the next day. You know, it's an outpatient thing. I didn't, I didn't snap out of it. And I kind of tried to overdo it coming out of it. And it, my body just set me back and, and uh, put me in my place and uh, said, you need to slow down. And so I've learned to slow down. I've had uh, a number of procedures in my life. Not that one, not possible on me. Mm -hmm. um, and I always find that like I've, I've had like two organ removals, um, in my appendix and my spleen. And, it, you know, whenever these doctors that they're like, oh, you'll whatever, you'll be fine, you know, three to four weeks. I've learned the operative question to ask them is, have you had this done? <laughs> because <laughs> they invariably haven't and they don't know like what's really I think anytime there's some sort of somebody goes into your body and does something, especially if you're under, you know, general anesthetic, it's a big deal. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't give think, I, I think, um, you know, it is a big deal. Like yeah. I even, I'm still, and, and to add on to that, um, five days prior, I had had my first ever colonoscopy. So I'm now on oh, good the, times. <laughs> I know, um, <laughs> you know, but I'm kind of checking all these boxes, like coming out of the pandemic of, Hey, it's time to get back to like annual right. exams and yeah. prevention and preventative care. And so I did the colonoscopy five days before. So I was kind of under for that. So I think it's just my body again, I'm tired and yeah. I'm not back like, you know, adding on the miles outside in the morning. Um, 
I just have to give myself some space to kind of recover. Yeah, good for you. Um, you know, the, what, I, what I've learned with age is, I've learned this very poorly, I just have to say, um, is that the work will be there tomorrow. It's not going to go away. <laughs> It's okay. You're going to relax. It's going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> you know, well, the crazy thing is I got to, I got to add on because this happened to me um, on Tuesday, last Tuesday, when I had the procedure, you know, I, I came home, my husband put me to bed and I woke up about three o'clock in the afternoon and I was scrolling through my phone. Cause instantly I pick up my phone, you know, I'm always like, Oh, what's going on with work. And I really like my team's just working away. And I was just like, you know what? They don't need me. Like mm. I'm not neat. And it was, it was actually incredibly freeing. Mm. Uh, I was just like, wow, I can check out and things go on and it's all good. So <laughs> I, I hear you, you know, around the work will always be there, but it's even a better feeling to know that it's also getting done, even though you're not doing it or not the one doing it. Um, we're not that important. We aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're all replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about this, um, the 2020 health survey that you did. Um, and, and so tell me a little bit about that. Where did, um, who did you survey and, and why did you do this? So we, um, about two years ago in 2019, we started publishing an annual menopause report. And in 2019, we called it the menopause zeitgeist. Like it's like, we've got the pulse on today's woman in menopause. And what prompted us to do this was um, I was going actually, I was going on the Today Show with Maria Shriver to talk a little bit about what we were doing with Genev. And I needed something to talk about. And so um, my team said, well, we have a lot of data, Jill. We've got this menopause assessment. If you go to genev.com, women can take this assessment. And it basically helps you understand where you're at in the 20-year journey of menopause that every woman goes through. And from that data, we know a lot about what kind of symptoms women are experiencing, how it impacts their quality of life, um, just a lot of information about them. And we thought, you know, the more that we make this available to other women, it starts to normalize it. Like you're not the only one going through this um, and through these changes. And so we published it in 2019. And um, in addition to that menopause assessment on our website that we just continually collect data from women who take it, we also do a, a pulse survey, which is kind of the zeitgeist, you know, point survey to really understand um, kind of the pulse or the vibe of women's health during that current year. And obviously 2020, pretty crazy year, you know, like it impacted women and men, all of us. But, um, you know, this report that we just published about two weeks ago now, um, we're now calling it menopause now, it represents 120,000 women. And it's a combination of not only the symptoms and the assessment they've been taking around menopause, but it also really went into some key ways in which women were, women's health and women, particularly 40 plus were impacted throughout the course of the pandemic. And we just uh, published that report about two weeks ago. And um, it's really insightful in terms of some of the things we learned. What surprised you most out of that? You know, um, obviously 2020 was a difficult year and we all, you know, I was prepared for the worst. I knew 
okay, I know emotionally, this is really hard. We're going to see depression, anxiety, emotional wellness kind of like come off, you know, numbers go up. Um, we also had a hunch that women were putting off like preventative care, things like mammograms and colonoscopies and your annual wellness exam and, and just paying attention to themselves. So we knew some of those things were going to exist. What surprised me um, there was a place for verbatims where women could just share how the year was and over 200 women wrote us stories and the resilience with which they shared in those stories, like, you know, it wasn't all, it, it was amazing. The silver linings that came out of the year and the amount and how resilient women are, how resilient we all are, but obviously this was focused on women. And I was really I was really motivated and inspired by their comments and, you know, the things, the good things that the year brought to their lives that they didn't want to let go of. Um, and so it completely surprised me, the positives that we saw coming out of the report. I, I, that's really, it's sort of something um, we've, we've done similar surveys that are um, both genders and, um, it's uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of that too. I'm I'm curious though, um, really, like you know, now we're a lot of people have been vaccinated, and um, so they're able to you know kind of get back in their health routine. I mean, we were, were we were you seeing people who had really you know important things, important tests, important procedures being put off because of the pandemic, and and there would be I'm guessing consequences from that. Yeah. You know, we, um, we thought because it was such a special year of people putting off their health care, we decided to also survey about 50 health providers, physicians as well, just to get their point of view. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it was obviously consistent with, you know, women saying, yeah, I've put off mostly mammograms, annual exams. And for women on an annual exam, whether it's a pap exam or some other exam, a lot of that is cancer screening. And so you wonder, um, or even blood pressure, heart health screening, you wonder if two years from now, we'll see an increase in breast cancer or cervical cancer or things that, and I don't mean to be such an alarmist, but we might see an increase in certain aspects of our health because we put off this prevention for about 12 months. And thankfully, you know, in, in the first quarter of this year in 2021, you know, our telemedicine appointments at Geneva are, are growing. They're like off the charts. It's awesome. Women are getting back to taking care of their health um, in terms of what they can do from a tele perspective. But, um, you know, I, I, I do, I think we're not going to know the impact on how preventative care on the procedures. We saw things like, like the procedure I talked about with me earlier, you know, removing polyps and fibroids that cause you a lot of pain and irregular bleeding. Like that's a way to not only improve quality of life, but, but also for cancer screening, um, for cervical cancer, things like that. Um, we saw that put off. We saw obviously mammograms, um, colonoscopies, dentist appointments, I think are, are, you know, our health in our mouth is such a predictor of so many things going forward. Um, so basic care, not even just like extreme procedures, um, but basic care was put off. And I think we're going to see a downstream impact a couple of years from now on that. Scary, but probably true. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, this idea of telemedicine, um, you were really 
at the right place at the right time for this, right? Like you'd prepared for four years and all of a sudden this thing happens and, and it, now it's tele everything, especially telemedicine. Um, I mean, good for you. <laughs> I, I, and I'm, I'm curious, do you think there's a difference in um, genders, the way they look at telemedicine? You know, I, but that's a great question. Um, there is a study, there's a stat and I'm going to, it's about accurate. I think they said, they've said, so women make 80 to 85% of all healthcare decisions, um, you know, between men and women, just part, partly a lot of that is because they're caregivers. Uh, but women are also 72 to 75% more likely to use digital health tools. So, and that's lumped. So I'm assuming telemedicine's in there too, than men, which it could be because women are just the bigger users of healthcare, so that could be part of that. Um, I don't know that we are more progressive or innovative than men, um, but the fact that we are kind of that central caregiver, whether it's for children or for the family or for elderly parents, uh, we're using digital digital health tools more readily, much more than men are. And so I have to think that always only trickles down to telehealth. Uh, but I think that's a fascinating stat. And, um, and as we saw, you know, this uptick in telemedicine, you know, obviously I think where it really grew was in primary care because everyone was using it for like, I think I have COVID, is this it? You know, and you're like, like dialing into a doctor. Um, so we saw some growth, but where we've really seen the growth, like 175% growth in appointments is this year. And again, it's women getting back to taking care of themselves. Um, but yeah, we're glad to be here with telehealth. I think we're just realizing and beginning to understand the power of it and how we can really use it for so many purposes, like in, in room visits, like even uh, I'll give you an example for menopause diagnosis of where you're at in the journey, as well as treatment, you don't need an in-person visit. There is no physical examination. It is a conversation between the doctor and the patient. And, you know, I think, I wonder how many other aspects of healthcare is it, it gets back, it gets back to conversation. And when you go to the doctor, you have like 10 to 15 minutes with them. And that doesn't allow for conversation and telehealth is going to be this, you know, way that engenders more time, more convenience at a smaller cost, I, or think at a lower cost um, for the kind of conversation that healthcare requires. I think it's fantastic. I'm a huge fan of telemedicine, telehealth. I, I had a sinus infection a few weeks ago and my doctor's like, we'll do a video thing. I was like, oh, great. So we do, the, we do the video thing. And it was, as you said, it was a conversation. And I was expecting five minutes of pointed questions about my nose and my sinuses. And I couldn't get him off the phone. He was like, he just wanted to talk. And we talked for half an hour. And I, thought, I, was, I was thinking like, well, uh, mm, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the adjustment on the patient's end uh, on this, the, uh, towards the conversation and less of the fact giving. So yeah, it was great. Well, and you know, I think also ask your provider, like if something, you know, like this procedure I had last week, I asked my, she said, so we have a post-op check-in on April 20th. So that's coming up this week. And uh, I asked her, do I need to be in person? for that. Do you need to exam, examine me? And she said, no. And I said, so can we do that as a telemedicine appointment? And she said, 
well, sure. I don't know why not. She said, I'll have my scheduler change it to a telehealth appointment. And so that was me asking, because uh, I hate getting in the car, right? finding parking, paying for parking, sitting in the waiting room. Um, you know, I just, so ask, and it's amazing what can be done. A huge fan. Yeah. The whole car thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh waste of my life. Yep. Um, so what are you seeing uh, as far as new solutions that are arriving this year? Anything coming up that, that people need to know about as far as, you know, this whole area that we're talking about? Yeah. You know, when you think about women's health, um, a couple trends that we saw out of the report. So I mentioned, you know, like 92% of women reported more stress, anxiety, even depression. So emotional health is just huge. And so I think one trend there um, is that your general healthcare needs to consider body and mind. And I think you're going to start to see a melding of the two coming together versus like, I go to my therapist for my emotional well-being or my counselor or whomever. And I go to my primary care physician for everything physical, you know, and then they refer me to a right specialist. We have to start thinking about the whole person. And that's a, an approach that we're starting to take at Genev. Um, we launched a new, excuse me, we launched a new, what we call menopause and emotional wellness program, where you're working with not only a gynecologist that is, is, is experienced in women's health at this part of, of our time of life, a health coach and a registered dietitian that is looking at your nutrition and, and physical exercise, and then a therapist that is really experienced in your emotional well-being. And so I, I, I only think, you know, you see a lot of mental health digital companies coming out now, but I think you're going to start to see them aligning or partnering, or in our case at Genev, offering more of a rounded um, telemedicine experience to women or a program that just again, doesn't look at a, a person's symptoms in isolation, but looks at the whole person. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I, so I can't believe that isn't going on already. That, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like we're well, one, we're one thing. It's not, you can't separate out the pieces. Well, and we leave it so often up to the patient to right. be that arbiter or the communicator between different specialists or, you right. know, and, and so one of the ways that we've rethought women's care um, in our care model, whether you are perimenopausal and we serve women from 38 up to, we've got a 74 year old woman. So we've got perimenopause, postmenopause. That just means you're on a different side of no menstrual period for 12 months and your hormones have shifted and changed as a result. And it impacts the symptoms that you experience differently in your body. And so in our care model, we give you access to a doctor and to a health coach, and then also a therapist if you need that as well. And they're like your care team and they're taking mm -hmm. care of that communication um, versus you needing to be kind of that, I don't know, referee or communicator. Um, and I just think that that's, that's the future of healthcare. Um, we've got a, it, you know, it, it not only enables the patient to be cared for better, um, but it also empowers the health providers because they're so much more well-informed because they're looking at documentation from their peers or they're communicating together or they, they, they kind of really, I think what we've seen in our team is, is that health coach becomes kind of the point person or the accountability partner for the patient. And then she will pull in kind of the specialists that are required when the patient needs it. 
that is just wonderful. I wish I had somebody like that. I mean, it's, I, it, because you're right. It's all, everyone that you see, even, even your, your primary care, they're very siloed in this. I mean, they're awesome at the thing that they do, but that's it. That's the thing that they do. So having somebody to say, uh, to connect all the dots and be like, oh, okay, that's, you need to talk to this person about this. They're going to tell you all about this. But this other part uh, is, is going to affect this. So we need to get this all hooked up together. That's wonderful. You know, and you're starting to see some of that come about in what they call concierge medicine. Yeah. Where you've got that doctor that can connect you. Um, it's expensive. You know, not a lot of people get access to that. Insurance usually doesn't cover that as well. So hopefully over time, this just also opens up accessibility to people at all financial levels. That's our goal is to improve access to care for women in this phase of life. That's right. I mean, I mean, I'm all for self responsibility and we, we take care of ourselves, but I think that there's just so much is put onto the patient in, in all of these things to negotiate, you know, what everything you they just kind of let you go. And it's like, here, well, go figure this out. And I, I have no expertise in this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why, yeah. why are you asking me to do this? <laughs> well, well, you know, and another thing we, and we hear this all the time with women. And I, I think this is a ubiquitous, like, doesn't matter the sex. You don't know the questions to ask, right? You, you don't know, should I be asking about that? You're not even aware of it, you know? And, and I think when you look at a care model, like what we're providing to women with Genev, and this is not just to overly promote what we're doing, but I think the more that you can help, you know, like women are like, well, I don't know if I should book an appointment with you because I don't even know what to ask. And we're like, well, don't worry about that. We'll do the asking, you know, we're going to ask you the questions, just show up because it's the right thing to do for you. Um, and so I think increasingly just people in healthcare need to feel not responsible for, you know, knowing what to ask when they go see their provider, they, they should, I, I would hope that over time, healthcare providers are the ones initiating the conversation and the questions, and they're not just fixing a problem. They're actually setting this person up for long-term health and wellness over time. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Uh, so tell me a little bit about um, where do people get I feel like I'm, I'm so like a duck out of water on this subject. Like I'm so the wrong gender for this. Um, so help me out. Where, where would a woman go to find information? Sure. You know, um, when I, so I, I've been a duck out of water until I got into Genev, David. And honestly, okay. the majority of women, when you think about this phase of women's health, like we're kind of, you know, when we are kids, we all, as girls, we have a, a talk about you know, our periods and what's that going to be, you know, and then even as, as boys and girls, we have a talk about sexual reproduction and, you know, that's like part of our education. It's not super comfortable, but we have it. Um, and then even as women, as we, as we have babies, you know, we're pretty educated around fertility and around having the baby and postpartum, postpartum, and, you know, all that's entailed with that when it comes to, this menopause phase of life. Um, and men go through kind of their own transition hormonally too, but we're not educated. There's no like talk that we have earlier in our life or anything. So most women, we don't know what to expect either, or we don't know how to even care for our health. We just kind of like, you'll see this huge lull in 
both doctor's appointments, you know, women are kind of like, okay, once I had my baby, okay, that's all I need my OB, you know, GYN. And I guess I don't really know who I go to now, or do I need regular appointments? Like there's no roadmap. So, um, we're out to change that. And that's when I started Geneva, I was like, well, I don't know that either. So my, when I started Genev five years ago, um, after we had surveyed these 1500 women to understand, well, you know, how did you get prepared? Do you go read WebMD? Would you go to mayoclinic.com? Like, what do you do? Um, when they said I was unprepared to start the conversation, I thought, okay, there needs to be the modern care model and source of information for women's health at this stage of life. And so my first hire was a content person and she and I just started interviewing anybody working with in women's health in this time of life, whether it is a therapist or a gynecologist or a pelvic floor therapist. Did you know there was one of those, you know, it's, um, there's just different, um, you know, specialties or different people that have worked in women's health, um, even cardiologists, even brain health, because how we manage our health as hormones change at this phase of life will impact our downstream, you know, heart health, brain health, bone health. So as we started to look at all these facets of the human being and how it's changing and transitioning, we started publishing content. And at the end of the day, I kind of want to become the Google for menopause, uh, you know, by coming to Genev.com. And, and David, I know it's kind of funny, but, um, 85% of all of our traffic, we get about a hundred thousand women accessing our website every month. And, 85% of them are coming because they're online searching about random different symptoms around about what they're experiencing. And so human beings are curious. They're definitely going through a change, but they don't really know that it's related to menopause or or what to even think of it, or if it's normal or should, should they be concerned? And so, you know, my mission is really to just like, no, it's normal. First of all, here's why you're experiencing that. And here's, here's the help. You don't need to suffer. And and most women kind of suffer in silence. Um, a lot of men come to us and say, how do I help my partner? I don't know. She's really miserable. Our relationship is suffering. Um, and so it's really my, at the end of the day, if, if we're successful, yes, I want lots of patients and I want to be helping people, but more than anything, I just want to be answering women and men's questions and not making them feel like they need to suffer alone. Why until recently has even the word menopause been so like there was a period of time you couldn't even say that on television or on the radio. What's up with that? What, what's that about? I don't get it. You know, it's, there's so much shame associated with it. And, you know, it's, I think it was, um, the term was started like in the 17th century. Like I've looked it up, you know, people have like looked at historical relevance of this term and, um, and it was, you know, women were thought of as crazy. And, and part of that is because as your hormones are shifting, your moods, anxiety goes up. Um, and so they were seeing women act out and in, in many ways as well, there's a confidence that comes in this age of life, whether it's because you're aging or whether it's because your hormonal health is changing for a woman in particular. And so women were also like more independent, you know, they were like, Oh, you know, I'm actually happy being on my own. I, I'm, I don't love this life I've had. I'm going to make a change. And so I think the, the notion, you know, menopause originally was just this kind of term, I think in, in, the 15 or the 17th century that 
was around kind of crazy, emotional, et cetera. And then it, it evolved into, oh, menopause is you're moody and you have hot flashes. You know, those were kind of the two um, symptoms or things that people always, you know, don't be so menopausal. It was almost like an adjective around yeah. you're being a moody bitch, you know, or something. Right. <laughs> and right. And then, and then add on top of that, you're aging. Okay. So it's associated with age and, you know, it's hard to age in general, let alone being thought of as, you know, just like this moody changing person. So yeah, it's never been, it's, it's had such a bad connotation and just of late in the last year or two, you know, you see women of menopausal age on stage doing big things like a JLo at the Super Bowl or, you know, Jennifer Aniston looking better than ever. And unfortunately, but fortunately, it takes kind of people of influence or celebrities or, oh, they're doing it okay. So I must be okay for it to become more mainstream. And I think as a result, this notion around menopause and the menopausal woman kicking ass and look at her has just started to kind of pick up and we're increasingly more able to talk about it. Thank God. Yeah. Like medieval. Sure. <laughs> I know for sure. For sure. <laughs> Where that came from. Uh, so are, are there places, are there communities, are there online communities? Are there places where women can get together and say like, Hey, this thing's happening to me. Is this happening to you? Totally. And, and I think that is, you know, any audience, any group of people that's going through transition needs community. You know, you've got your community. And so uh, they can, at Genev.com, we have a private Facebook group. Um, and they can come to Genev and join our private Facebook group called Menopause and um, or, or Menopause and Midlife Solutions. Um, but there's also other communities. If you search mostly in Facebook or online, um, another, I, I think, great one, Next Tribe um, is a great group of women. They're talking oftentimes about menopause, but just about life in general as they age and as women, uh, you know, love them. Uh, there's other communities that have sprung up that were in person that have now gone virtual. Um, Revel is one of those. Um, and so there, there are good communities where I feel women can cathartically vent. They can share solutions of what's going, what's working for them. Um, and they need that, you know, we all need that in some sort of way. Uh, and so, and we've got our own. Um, so there's, there's multiple opportunities. There's even a, a, another one. Um, there's one um, that's titled the black girl's guide to menopause. Um, developed by um, Omi Shade, Bernie Scott. And it's very, you know, she takes a little bit more of a, a racial and ethnic um, focus because you need, you need people who look like you, who are going through it in the same way culturally. Um, so yeah, we've all, we're all finding ways to get into a community that can support us. That's great. And where do people find you and Genev? Genev.com. It's G-E-N-N-E-V.com. So um, online, Genev, um, our name stands for, so Gen is generation. Nev in old Irish means radiant. And so we really see ourselves as kind of supporting this next generation of women through the most radiant years of their lives. Wow, great name. I had no idea that's what that meant. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, yeah. Jill, this has been great. Um, you've educated the duck out of water here a little bit. And I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, I love what you're doing. I know that a lot of the people in our community are um, fans of you and, and use Genev and it's, it's great to connect and, and hear what's going on with you.
Thank you, David. Um, thanks for having me and and what we're doing at Genev. Um, I appreciate you know bringing the kind of health and wellness information you bring to your listeners and um, and we've got a lot of work to do, but um, you know we're here for women as they need us. Sounds great. Thank you. It's great having Jill on the show today. You know, I, I have to say, I, and menopause is not something I know a huge amount about, clearly. Uh, but when people have questions about it, that's where I refer them. Um, they have the experts there. So thank you so much for listening today, everyone. If you like the show, hey, maybe leave us a comment. We'd love those. Leave us a rating wherever you listen to this. If you're on iTunes, if you're on Google, that really helps us. Most appreciate it. And if you have any questions or comments and you want to just say something to me directly, David at superage.com. I respond to everything directly and immediately. Um, and, and, and I love that. I love all your stuff that you guys send in. So thank you all so much. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. And next week, we have something completely different. Um, we have somebody who flies airplanes very fast, <laughs> very close to other airplanes. So I think you're going to like that. Have a great week, and we'll see you then. Bye now.